hope. It's a peculiar word. It's one that it seems like we struggle a little bit with defining what exactly is hope. And I think about that. I think about all the different answers that we saw in the video, and I think about answers that I've heard through the years, and I I hear people uh, say a number of things. Um, You know, sometimes I think our culture has this idea that hope is wishful thinking, that that's all it is, or wishing upon a star, right? Or finding a lucky penny, or you know, almost like it's just uh, it's just chance, or it's just something that is wishful thinking against against what you know. Maybe we think we know better. But what if what if there's more to it than this word uh, than what our culture has said? and how our culture defines this word of hope. In fact, the word hope seems to have made God's top three list. He says, abide in these three, faith, hope, and love. And and the greatest of these is love. And it seems to me that in the world in which we live, we don't define any of those three well. And maybe our culture's definition of love is not a biblical definition of love, and maybe, just maybe, the, the culture's definition of faith is not a biblical definition of faith, and maybe our culture's definition of hope is not even the biblical definition of hope. So what is then that biblical definition that we're after? What is hope? And how do we get it? How do we get there? That's what this sermon series is about. That's what we're going to focus on answering. Because a biblical definition of hope is not wishful thinking. The biblical definition of hope is a, is a confident anticipation. Yes, it's, hope implies a future tense. It implies that, that uh, there's something down the road. But when you combine that with the love of Christ, you combine that with our faith in him, and we, we look at this idea of faith, hope, and love in connection with one another, then that hope is no, is no longer just wishful thinking, but it is a confident, a confident uh, certainty, not, beca- not because of ourselves, but because of Christ. So we're going to be in Ezra. Over the next three months, we're actually going to be in three books. The three books are known as the post-exilic books of the Old Testament. Uh, these are Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. We're going to go through them uh, you know, in, in sequence and just kind of walk through. And why, why do these books offer hope? Well, in part, because if, if, if you have been here... Uh, for our November and December series, we went through the book of Daniel. Uh, if you weren't here, let me bring you up to speed really quick on that. Um, Jeremiah, who was a prophet, right at the very beginning of the Babylonian captivity, uh, made a prophecy that Israel was going to be taken captive. And that they're not only going to be taken captive, that it's going to last for a period of 70 years. And... During those 70 years, there were men like uh, Daniel, 
there was Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, uh, more commonly known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But there was something different about this young generation. There was something going on with this generation during that 70-year period where they were held captives in, in Babylon. And I want, you to, I want you to consider this. Think of it this way. Imagine, if you will, if the universe were a theater. Picture a big uh, theater, if you will, perhaps the Blumenthal. And that God has a narrative to tell on this massive stage. The seats in this theater are filled with the heavenly host as they watch things unfold. And the playbill for this grand production that God is doing has four parts. Creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. And as he, as he begins over on this, this small little portion of the stage, the, the, the rest of the, the, of the stage is dark, and there's this small little garden on the stage. And in that garden, God created a man and a woman, and he created them in his image. Now, there's a lot involved there. What exactly does that mean? Well, the New Testament gives us a little bit of insight into what exactly that means in that we were created to reflect the righteousness and holiness of God. At least that's what part of, the, part of that means. So if we were created for that purpose to reflect his righteousness, to reflect his holiness, the problem is that Adam and Eve, before they even conceived their first child, had already sinned against God. And that leads us to that second scene, that second part of this grand production of the fall. And sin enters the world, and it has caused destruction, and it has caused uh, mankind to have murder in his heart. And we see all of this unfolding right in the very early chapters, by chapter 3 of Genesis. We have already seen We've already seen mankind tremendously sin against God. But also, in Genesis chapter 3, we see the first appearance of the gospel. We see the first glimpses of redemption. We see God bring about judgment, but he says, no, I want you to know that one day I'm going to send someone to redeem the world. And, and his heel is going to be bruised but he is going to crush the head of the one that has caused all this destruction, and I am going to redeem my people. And then he is going to restore them. And he is going to have a new work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will, will work within our lives to help us to do what? To reflect the righteousness and holiness of God. So God has been telling this narrative throughout the Old Testament. In fact, even as we get into the New Testament, he's been telling this narrative over and over and over. But here's what we see in the Old Testament. We see creation take place. We see the fall take place. We see redemption. We see a restoration. 
And then every single time we see those things take place in the Old Testament, we sin again. And we're right back at the beginning. It was a terrible cycle of the Old Testament. It was a terrible cycle of the Hebrew people. They continually found themselves sinning against God. They would remorse, repent, feel bad about it, cry out to God to save them. God would say, okay, I redeem you, and I'm going to restore you. And then it would last for a season, and then guess what would happen? It all started over again. If you want to see that happen again and again, you want to see exactly where that happens, read through the books of First and Second Kings. In First and Second Kings, this, this cycle happens over and over and over. You know, a, a sin against God. A remorse. God, I'm sorry. And then redemption. Okay, I'm going to restore you. Something changed with Ezra's generation. Something was different about these guys. These guys, um, Ezra, Azariah, Hananiah, Mishael, Daniel, these guys that were growing up in Babylon... They were studying God's word. They were reading the prophet of Jeremiah. In fact, they even had a letter from Jeremiah that he had written to them specifically just to encourage them. And they saw the cycle. And Ezra sees this cycle and he's going, Guys, do you see what's happening? God's people sin over and over and we repent and he... And he redeems us, and then we see they experience this restoration. But then we turn around, and we sin against God again, and we're right back in the same situation where we are held captive and we're given over to our enemies. We've got to do something different. So the mindset was different with these guys. Ezra understood that God is always faithful to his word. He understood this cycle that took place.